want to thank ATI for helping to support the show. They're a sponsor, and that's actually where our guest today uh, comes from. Uh, Tom works with ATI, and we get into some really, really cool conversations about things that I didn't think a whole lot of before PT school. And then you get to PT school, and I was told to think about these things like all the time. And some of the topics we touch on are mentorship and reflection. And that second one, the reflection thing, and we'll get into it, uh, I ran away from as quickly as possible. I did the bare minimum in terms of reflection in PT school. And ironically, Tom's got some really great insights because of a uh, uh, secret weapon. And you'll find out who and what that secret weapon is in terms of reflection, why it actually doesn't work for most of us in PT or anywhere, and uh, how to improve it. The secret weapon is is pretty brilliant too. Uh, so thanks to ATI for helping us to, to support the show. They're one of the leaders in clinical research within the profession of physical therapy with all 900 plus ATI clinics placing in the 100 percentile in CMS's merit-based incentive program for the second consecutive year. So if you want to join their team and jumpstart your new career, visit ATIPT.com. That website again is ATIPT.com. So without further ado, uh, Tom Denninger. So I think that driver comes from a want to develop, a desire to help people, but also a deep-seated insecurity that if only I can get to the next shiny object, then I'm really going to be helping people. Well, I do. Uh, I do pr- pretend like I'm the professional. I just sort of make it make it up as I go along. But uh, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. Excited to be here. I'm pumped to be here. This is uh, this is a topic I don't think I ever actually thought about mentorship formally until I came to PT. Like in radio, it was really like find someone who like is smart. Maybe they're on their way up. Maybe they're, you know, maybe you, you know, find someone who's bad at the things that you're good at. And that's how you get in their good graces. You, know, you do the grunt work for them and they'll take you along for the ride. But, but as I got into PT school, it really was like, oh, people are so vastly different and this profession so vastly wide that picking the right mentor or making sure you're being sort of thoughtful about it was really, it seemed, it seemed to have a lot of importance. It came up a lot. You know, the interesting thing is I think in a lot of other fields, they talk about mentorship without calling it mentorship. So it's a pretty ambiguous term that I think means something a little bit different to everybody. Yeah. Right. In a lot of ways, it's, hey, do you have access to a role model? Is there someone that you're going to try to emulate or learn from, you know, someone who can help you progress in your career. I love the analogy of kind of you fill their holes, they'll fill yours. Um, You know, but I I, I just think part of where we go wrong with it is folks get into PT school and it's mentorship, 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 mentorship. Make sure you got mentorship. Hey, don't talk to someone that doesn't have mentorship, you know, all those things, but no one really defines what that is. Right. Um, and, And that can really lead people astray because you being a mentor, your definition might be completely different than mine as being a mentee. Right. So, okay, we check the box. There's a mentorship process, but hey, that relationship isn't going to go well because what we're looking for is very different. Misalignment. I remember this is probably 20, I, and it's funny how when 
when the collective we or a big group of people start talking about something, next thing you know, it's the buzz thing. And I'm going to say it was probably 2016, 2017, because that's around when I graduated PT school. And this word mentorship was coming up. And there was, I would love to have some data on this, but that ain't my jam. But there was this spike of people like selling mentorship, like quite literally like, hey, I'm a person who's been a clinician for 20 years, join my mentorship program for 200 bucks a month. And there were so many of that. And I couldn't have told you why exactly I didn't. It just felt icky. But I remember just looking around being like, "Are you, I feel like we're just, we're eating our young here. Like we're just selling them stuff. Like, hey, you just graduated school. Let me tell you nine reasons why you're going to fail unless you hire a mentor and, and do this. And so let's start by saying this. What you just said, we need to define it. So uh, bold statement, mentors are not teachers. There's a difference there. So, so how do you define, how do you personally, Tom, this is your, your operating definition of mentorship. How do you define it? And how do you see it different from what we're probably used to, which is traditional teaching methods? Mm -hmm. I think the base definition is about someone who's invested in you as a person and a professional. I, I think, you know, no matter where you want to go with it, whether it's monetized, like you described, if it's casual, if it's formal, Hey, this might go well if we start with, hey, you're invested in me as a person in my development. Might shape a lot of different ways. Hey, what does mentorship mean for me? What am I looking for? Do I want something that's more formal? Do I want someone to go to when I have a question? Do I want someone to ask me questions? Do I want someone who thinks of themselves as more of the sage on the stage as opposed to the guide on the side? But as long as we're starting with a, hey, I'm investing in you and I'm interested in your development, then we have a chance. And then, and all right, so now that we understand what your definition is, that's good. Because if I don't, if, if someone's listening and they're like, that's not how I define it, you've just saved both of you time, effort, heartache, energy, like, then this isn't going to work out because this is what I, this is how I view it, this is how you view it, this is good. And then there's different ways and different places to get it, right? Because again, I told you, I heard you know the the big buzzword. I'd love to do one of those Google searches where it like shows you like the popularity of a word. Yeah, because I feel like mentorship and mentorship. I think you're right on spikes because yeah, I'm a 2008 graduate, and it was like, eh, pick a place where they're not gonna mess you up, you know. But then all of a sudden, it really kind of became this like, what's the mentorship program? Who's your mentor gonna be? Gotta have. Um, and then with anything, you know, people figured out how to monetize it pretty quickly. Yeah. All right. So, so now we figured out what, what your definition of mentorship is, right? So, so we, we can understand that. And, ju- and just for people, like for context, for people listening, like you've been at ATI for since what, 2015? Uh, 2015, you know, came on board through an acquisition. Yep. So you've been, you, and, and in your roles there, clinical, professional, and then leadership development for, for ATI. So it feels like getting your definition of mentorship, it's probably been shaped by, wait for it, other people, probably through some sort of mentorship programs, right? So just where you work, because you said in, in you know, when you graduated 2008, it was like, just go somewhere, they won't mess you up, right? You can receive mentorship formally, 
informally. You can get Absolutely. it where you work. It could be done formally outside of work or informally. So all these different ways, it, 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 sort of, it sort of says, all right, now that we know Tom's definition and you know Jimmy's definition, someone else's definition, that's the what with probably a little bit of why sprinkled in there, but also the how and the where can, should probably fit as well. How am I getting this? Where am I getting this? Is this on site? Like, I feel like it's not just one. Now we're going even deeper. It's more than just this buzz term, which is feels like it was so blanket, but it can mean so many different things to so many different people. Yeah, there's so many different shapes. So let's not bind it into one definition, right? Hey, it's a relationship between two people where there's mutual expectations of each other to just invest, you know, and investment takes lots of different ways. So when I came out of school, I entered into a residency. So formal mentorship that's right. on site, right? That's that's part of atrophy's requirements, right? That is one form of mentorship where you're going to treat patients together and you're going to ask me about my treatment decisions and we're going to come together and plan kind of our next steps and do all sorts of different thought exercises. That's great. Um, I took my first kind of clinical job in one where there wasn't mentorship, right? Where I was starting a new clinic. It was going to be embedded with some docs, but I knew kind of who the key stakeholders and the people who were investing in me within that company you know, that I could go to for questions, that I had resources, and I was starting my manual fellowship. So I knew I was going to have that next level of formal mentorship, but this person's not on site, you know, all the time. I'm probably going to go to their location and treat some of their patients and learn from what they do. But your mentor doesn't have to be a single person. Develop your cabinet right? You probably have a mentor that's helped you in the podcast game. Yeah. You probably had a clinical mentor. You, you, you have all these different folks that if we just start with this, hey, we have a relationship and we're interested in my development, all of a sudden it takes a lot of different forms instead of, no, a mentorship program has to be someone who's on site with you 40 hours that spends 10 hours a week treating patients with you. Like, yeah, maybe, that, that might be great. That might be cool. Right. But also it can be someone who you contacted through your state PT association who's interested in mentorship. Or maybe it's the author of that article that you thought was really cool. And, you know, after some uh, professional flirting, hey, you, you you digging me? I'm digging. Yeah, can I just talk to you about some headaches right. or manual therapy? All of a sudden, this definition of mentorship gets really, really expansive. And I think that's enabling. Instead of when we try to fit it in a box of, it has to be, you know, weekly, one-on-one, -on -one, in person, you know, a defined program where there's a curriculum. We've lost the forest through the trees. All of a sudden we're teaching. All of a sudden it's a program. It's not a mentorial relationship. Right, right. Yeah, you said cabinet. And I remember I thought like um, someone had put it this way, like who's your Mount Rushmore? Because sure. you look up to Mount Rushmore because it's this huge – monolithic things up in the sky and you said relationship which um needs to be two-way right i don't think i thought about it like that which is there's less pontification right pontification you know professing knowledge is one is typically one way but if you can have a, a mentorship relationship with a professor that continues after class because that's more two-way and yeah. how do we uh and how do we grow and then you know also just being someone invested in you and not just, you know, less transactional. Exactly. It's developing that two-way relationship, right? Pontification, if that's really the, 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 the hallmark, 
whether that pontificating is coming in person through the phone or through email, that that's not really mentorship. Right. Hey, maybe that can even started with a question. Hey, tell me everything I need to know about, you know, cervicogenic headaches. Well, you need to read this, you need to read this and don't consider this and things like that. Really the best mentors don't give a lot of information. Oh, they ask a lot of questions. Yeah. So, well, tell me about what you know on that subject. Right. Where would you look to for other resources? Tell me about the problem that you're working through. Because it's not a matter of here's the resource, read this and you got it. Mentorship is really trying to develop this kind of idea of a master adaptive learner. I can take this conversation, learn from it and apply it to the next 20 or 30 cases. Right. And that's so I'm scale. not relying on you every time I have a hard patient. And that scales. I say, you know, as you say this, I was like, man, uh, Sky Donovan, who's on the APTA board of directors now. And she's a, my, was my professor at Marymount. She hates when I say that. Cause she's like, why don't you just introduce me as your friend? And uh, cause I'm like, I need to put, put it in context. But man, she was like the worst professor ever because I'd ask her questions and she'd ask me questions. And I was like, but I want you to give me the answer. And she's like, if I give you the answer right now, you won't have learned anything except for this one little microscopic thing. And I was like, well, damn it. Yeah, but I want the answer. Yep. But that was a good relationship because she's she was like, why are you asking this? Mm -hmm. Or like, what part of it? You, you don't understand any of it or you don't understand part of it. Great. Which part? Or okay, let's start, start from zero. Like, what is your understanding of this thing we're talking about? And these are all like great podcaster questions, right? Cause they're all open-ended. They let the, they let the person you're asking drive the, drive the bus on it and tell me which way we're going. I mean, I had someone say like, how many questions do you script out for a podcast? And like for full transparency, I have every guest sort of fill out this form. Right. But mm -hmm. it's similar to what like Charlize Theron would fill out, or probably not Charlize, probably her like assistant, right? Would <laughs> fill out like before she goes to talk to Jimmy Fallon. Sure. And it's like, I'm just looking for threads. I don't need you to write the questions. I don't want you to write the questions. That's my job, man. I'll do that. I'll do that. I want to know what drives you so I can pull on that thread and then get the most out of you. That's a podcast. You know, some people will call it a trick. It's not a trick. It's just like my job is to get the most Tom out of Tom even though he knows like, Hey, we're being recorded, right? This is public. Right. But it's similar to like that mentorship thing, which is like, what's driving you today. Mm -hmm. Can you script that conversation now? I don't know if you can, it doesn't feel very beneficial. If you, if well, you it sounds like facilitating, right? right. You know, and the right. best mentors and podcast hosts and clinicians facilitate. Right. They don't have all the answers. They don't need to have all the answers. And if we start with questions, and you're trying to unlock something. Yeah, good good podcasters, mentors, and clinicians facilitate. They ask questions. And it's there's a bad way to do that. Like, you can be annoying with questions like, well, what do you think? Right, um, right, right, right. right. And, and, and then it's a little bit, you know, different. But, uh, hey, find the common ground. Help the person be part of their solution. You know, really enable them to problem solve now and in the future but it also unlocks you as a mentor because you don't feel like you have to be the subject matter expert in everything. I'm sure same for you in, in this role. Yeah. I, I don't, I, th I think I've, I've talked about my uh, theory on like interviewing or conversations. I call it the onion, right? Which is, you know, having a conversation should be a lot like peeling an onion where the purpose of peeling an onion, there's no pit inside. You're not getting towards anything except the act of actually peeling the onion, the act of having the conversation 
is the thing. It's the value. You've mm -hmm. got to start somewhere on the edge. That's what I say. It's like a thread. Just find somewhere to start and then sort of dig in. Because if you try to cheat and you just go ahead and grab a knife and just slice into it, because I want to get to the middle, because I just let's just get this done. Man, that just makes you cry, right? Because then your eyes just start burns. Like that's not the way to do it. The purpose of peeling the onion, the whole thing's onion. Like the whole the purpose of mentorship is to have this conversation because that's the thing that's actually causing the learning and the growing. It's not the answer to the question. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how often it can go wrong because you can have mentees entering in a mentor relationship where they assume, oh, I'm just going to get taught. Right. Right. And you can have mentors who assume, oh, I just get to share my knowledge. Right. And, you know, I, I, I suppose there is a format where someone who wants to pontificate finds someone who wants to be pontificated to. Right. Um, but, but, you know, I think more often than not, after a little bit of initial oh, so you're not just going to give me the answer, kind of similar to your uh, uh, Sky uh, you know, right. uh, story. You're like, oh, thank goodness, right? Because how unfortunate would that be if they're only going to give me what I asked for? Well, that's Google, right? Which is good because Google's free. But if you're going to be in this relationship where you just ask a question, you get an answer, the thing is, I mean, it's a good business model because how do you ever grow and – how can you ever grow beyond that? You, you, it sounds like you, I mean, from my, from my view of that, you can't. Yeah. I mean, uh, you use the word transactional before, right? I think that's exactly it because here's the secret as it relates to clinical, you know, uh, CEU courses or even, the information's out there, right? Right. You don't do a residency. You don't do a fellowship because of this secret book of knowledge. You're not right. going to have access to, you do it so you have a really good mentor who's going to challenge you to think and teach you to be your own mentor after yeah. a period of time. Or once again, develop that professional cabinet so you can figure out like, hey, I think I got this OK with this clinical piece, but now I'm treating this different population or, hey, now I'm taking on a leadership role or now I want to get into podcasting. You know, you're going to need to expand that and kind of go back to and, and make that Mount Rushmore bigger. But the hope is, hey, let's grow beyond each other or at least evolve our relationship. I'll go back to your, your story about Sky again. Say, hey, can't we just be friends? Right. One of the most awkward mentorship things I ever had. So I, I had a professor, uh, Dr. Kevin Choi, back at Sacred Heart University. He was a first-year faculty member the, the first year I was a DPT student. So he's only a couple years older than us, probably younger than, than some of the students in the class. And very professional i mean uh, incredibly up, upright great instructor but really you know served as a mentor for me as a dpt student would let me know he saw something in me we engaged in a mentorship relationship but then three years out he's doing his manual fellowship and asking me if he can come down to the clinic and i'll serve as his mentor I'm like kevin I, I don't think i'm comfortable with this no it's great hasn't our relationship evolved enough now that I would have hoped that you stopped seeing yourself as just my student right. when you were a student, let alone now being removed from it. So so hopefully mentors set that environment that we can evolve and grow and and kind of evolve that relationship. Somebody I forget who to give credit to. Somebody had had a really great viewpoint and they said you should have a you should have you should 
bottom line, have two mentors. One should be 10 years older than you. At least one should be 10 years younger than you. Sure. Which is all, you know, sometimes we're ageist in the reverse, in the younger direction where, and I see this a lot in communications, where it's like, we're going to let, you know, the, the students and the interns, they're going to do social media because they get it. They get these apps. I don't know the Instagram. I don't know why people just decide to put, start putting the in front of everything when they don't get it. I don't know the Instagram and the face and the, how to do the Facebook. Um, and you shouldn't just like say, well, you guys get it. I don't. Good luck. Right. You can learn a lot. And I, I said this in the first couple episodes of my podcast when one of my younger classmates said, what are you going to do when you're done interviewing all the, and I'm using air quotes for the podcast audience, what are you going to do when you're done interviewing all the, all the super famous PT people? And that's when I realized his age, he was 10 years younger than me. I'm like, oh, you don't see it. Like, I truly believe you can learn a lot from pretty much anybody, right? I mean, I lucked out. First couple episodes, I had Sharon done. Again, not really sure why Sharon said yes. I think she just was like, yes. And then she was like, I don't even know what a podcast. Then she probably Googled what a podcast was. But what I looked at was, you know, I mean, you could say informally, I've got more than 1,100 mentors for a half hour each because I get to pick the ear and pick the brain of so many different people. It'd be different if I wasn't recording it, right? Because it'd be like, mm -hmm. it'd be, but, but I get to almost use that as like my, hey, do you mind if I can have you on my podcast? But secretly, like, kind of just want to learn from you for like a half hour. Like, do you mind if I dig in? And, and you, and you, and, and I luck out because someone said, Hey, Jimmy, you stepped outside your comfort zone um, and learned a lot. I'm like, no, I actually, I stayed in my comfort zone, which is interviewing people and ventured to places I was not comfortable around the profession. But if I had just done that just by knocking on doors and asking people questions, I don't think I would have been as successful. So I think like that even goes to show, like I sort of turned a podcast into a mentorship relationship because a lot of the people I call up afterwards after I've interviewed them or see them at conferences and we have these great connections like was not on I'd love to say this was strategic I was like how I built I love to write a book how I built my 1100 person mentorship network right but I didn't it was it was a sort of a goof but I sort of built it for mine which reinforces what you're saying it it needs to fit the both people or it won't work mm -hmm. I mean people have to be invested that's that's where it starts I mean, if we were looking at that keys, we would say investment in each other and ask questions. And if those two things are in place, I would say more likely than not, you're probably, you got a chance. It's probably gotcha. going to go well. But if you don't have that investment, if this thing is assigned or it's done, you know, out of, you know, the voluntold, you know, situation, which I think is where a lot of companies go wrong. Hey, right. congratulations. You're a senior clinician. What do I have to do? You got to mentor people. I don't really want to do that. Well, I guess you're not a senior clinician. Oh, I guess I can do that. Well, I guess I can share my information. So now they're not invested in, they're not really interested in hearing what that person's experience is. They just want to give answers and feel a little bit more special. Right. Um, and it goes wrong on the other side too. Hey, I've been told I need mentorship. I think I haven't figured it out, but I guess if I have to spend time with someone and ask questions, you know, maybe quickly they'll figure out that, you know, maybe I can teach them a thing or two, but that's it. People need to mutually kind of find themselves in the middle, be open to learning, not want to give answers, not want to, you know, just have this check the box mentality that I think a lot of people have fallen into with the rise of mentorship, as opposed to really saying, hey, how do we make each other better? How do, you know, in an effort to help these patients? Right. You, uh, you highlighted the, the importance 
of being able to ask for help in a patient really with anything, but we'll stick, we'll stick with like the, so the, 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 the clinical patient model, it's important to learn how to ask for help with a patient. And then you have to know what, you know, this is like why we, why we make such a big deal about like second and third graders about nine one one and stop, drop and roll. It's like, you need to know how to ask for help and where to get it and what to do if the situation arises, um, how to ask for help. That's gotta be, that's gotta be important for something like ATI, which is pretty massive, like a footprint, right? More than 900 clinics. How do you, how do you make sure of that, that that's, that that's known by the people that work with you or around you? How, how's that made clear? Cause if it's not, people are just going to sort of be like, I don't know, I guess I wing it. Mm -hmm. Well, I would, I would point to two things. One is people play differently when you're keeping score, right? Oh. So how do I know that I'm struggling? And I'll refer people back to the great conversation I had with with Chuck Thigton, Chuck, my yeah. colleague, you know, to really say, hey, outcomes are important. We need these things to be visible. They're not just for insurance or they're not just for documentation, be defensible. Like you got to keep score because that tells you where you need help. Because without that, patients are people pleasers, right? I very rarely did I ever tell have a patient tell me I sucked or I was missing the mark. But you know what? I sucked in a lot of instances. So, and if I wasn't paying attention to the objective data, they would just drift off because they didn't want to be rude because right. people are semi-polite. You got to know what people are improving or not. Um, so, so that's a piece, have a scoreboard that's going to tell you. The other piece is asking for help is a skill. Weekly, I get emails. It's like, hey, can you help me with this patient that you know has a total need? And that's, that's the message. That's it. That's, that's okay. Um, you know, Hey, details would be important, right? Demographics. Yeah. What's going wrong? What have you done? What haven't you done? You know, that help people help you to some extent or else, especially through email or through asynchronous communications on teams or whatever, you get done with it and it was good, but then you're like, wow, that's a lot of effort as opposed to, Hey, how do you ask for help? Hey, Tom, you know, I'm treating this patient. It's a 68 year old male. You know, he had a total knee three weeks ago. We're having a lot of trouble getting his knee flexion range of motion back. You know, this is what I've done. This is what I'm thinking about doing next. Do you see any holes in my approach? You know, are, are there major things that could kind of come, come, Oh, I'll engage in that conversation all day long. Um, so there certainly is a way to meet that mentor or that person that you're trying to engage with to ask the question to get help, you know, in the middle so that you give them something to work on. Correct. Right. It's not so ambiguous that by the time we arrive at how I can possibly help you, we're both exhausted in the process. Well, one of those things, the first way that in that scenario where you presented the information, it sounds as if the person who's coming to you is like, Hey, I need you to solve all this. Like I'm dropping this on your, on your doorstep right here. Good luck. Like, you know, I need, solve this for me. So are they looking for help or are you looking for me to help you solve this? I can, I would love to be a part of this conversation as you mentioned, but I don't, I mean, this isn't my place. This is, this is my place to do the whole thing. Um, and the other thing that, that made me perk up and take a note and I rarely take notes, but for some reason I'm writing a lot of stuff down today with Tom, which is, have you ever heard the idea of bluff? Oh, bottom line up front. Milita military does this very, very well. 
Because yep. as you mentioned, take score, right? Keeps it matter. People pay attention. People work harder to keep score. You know, police, firemen, EMTs, military, like it matters, right? So they realize split seconds or misunderstandings can cost things, lives, uh, or bigger. And bottom line up front is this concept, which is don't bury the lead, man. So the second example, the second part of your example was here's what you need to know for context. And then here's my hole, which is like now Tom has more of a picture. Now I can give you this little. This, I can fill in this little thing that maybe you weren't seeing or you didn't know. We get, we get to the end a lot faster. But, but yeah, bluff, bottom line up front. Um, it's also like in news, right? It's We call it the inverted pyramid, which is like get the important stuff up high, right? Like, And then the details can be low. You know who's bad at this? Six-year-olds telling you a story about their day at school. They love the – they're like, you know what? Details first. Today my friend Steve wore a red shirt, and he's got a dog named – you know, fluffy. It's like, does this store have anything to do with Steve or fluffy? No, we're talking about my teacher. It's like, okay, I don't know where we're going here, but that example is extreme, but you see where being able to ask know where help is. Yes. And I like how you're like, okay, great. Now you know where to call, understand how to ask for it. Where you are not going to ask that person to burn too many. I don't want to say too many calories, but it's like, let's do this as a team. This shouldn't take seven emails back and forth. It should take two. I mean, cause I, you know, what you said there, there are so many people that want to help you. Yeah, I truly, truly, truly believe that. So I uh, worked with different state organizations, the APTA or, or other professional organizations. And it's always about standing up a mentor program. And we always get tremendous volunteerism on the mentor side and very low uptake on the mentee side. Really? Yet that's what everyone's told that they need. Right. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think it comes back to this idea of effort to some extent where no one's been taught how to utilize that help. That's so they enter in this relationship where it's like, that's awkward. Hey, I'm going to reach out to this person that I don't really know. They're not in proximity of me. Isn't it kind of weird that they're willing to spend some of their time with me anyway? You know, or when they have that experience, you know, it's just not smooth. There's no rules of engagement that are established so that if you do go, uh, hey, Tom, this is Ted from, you know, so-and-so. I got a patient with back pain that's not getting better. Help? Question mark? Right. And then they feel awkward about it. Hopefully, I have the caloric, uh, def uh, caloric surplus to kind of lean in because if it's too hard and I'm stressed, hey, Ted, happy to help. Tell me a little bit more, maybe. Right. And then he's like, ah, this isn't going to be helpful. So I, I don't know. I don't think I have the complete solve for it, but I just want to really reinforce for young professionals out there that there's a lot of people that are, are, are super excited to help or wish they were more utilized, whether it's from a professional, a research, a clinical, you know, any of these pieces. You kind of talked about it. I don't know why Sharon Dunn would have done my first podcast because that's who Sharon Dunn is. Right, right. But it's every speaker ever that you could pull from the CSM schedule. If you email those people, I will say you get a 98% hit rate on people coming back. Yes, I'll send you that full text. Yes, I'd love to outline how I got involved with this. People love talking about themselves, but they also like helping people. So if they yeah. can talk about themselves and help you, Oh, right. man, all day long. 
I tell people all the time, like really the, 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 the layup of this podcast is I get smart and passionate people to talk about what they're smart and passionate about. And it sounds like, well, it's gotta be more than that because there's a microphone and a camera and editing. I'm like, yeah, but the real, like the, 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 the meat of it is get smart, passionate people who are excited to talk about what they're smart and passionate about facilitate that in a way that's like fun and yeah we have a beer and that's you know it's super low it's casual and and but really it's get them talking about what they're smart and passionate about and then get out of the way sounds like a good business plan it's a pretty good business plan right make it fun but first of all i didn't realize that about the surplus of mentors and and maybe the 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 the, the negative or the lack of of mentees and that could be a process issue right if you want to look at like people product process the people involved want the product of mentorship, but they don't know how to do it. I mean, that's, I never even thought about it before we started talking like, yeah, make sure you know how to ask for help. It's like, well, that's easy. I just say help. It's like, well, no, think about it. When people come to you, they don't know how to ask or they don't, do I just say here, solve this? And I leave it's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's a different, that's a, that's a transactional relationship. Like I want you to mow my lawn. So I will pay you to mow that lawn. The lawn will get mowed, but Hey, could we have this, this back and forth. And I'll explain to you, I will show you, I will teach you how to do this thing, right? I'll, the, the fish analogy, I'll teach you how to, to catch a fish instead of me just going to catch fish for you every single day. Yep. Uh, yeah. You have a statement that experts do the basics really well and a warning, don't rush to make your practice complex before you're ready. And I felt this and saw this. I feel like it's kind of come down, which is the idea is I want to I want to be, I want to have 10 years experience in three years. And that was like, I mean, that was everywhere. I don't know if it's still there, but I felt like it was like on my chest when I was graduating. It was like, join this. It'll accelerate this. Everything was an accelerator, man. I don't know how fast we were going back in 2016, but I felt like we were going real fast. Um, we all wanted to be more advanced than we were, which is, which is okay. That means you want to grow, yeah. but don't skip ahead. Cause then, I mean, this is the journey, man, but also learning the advanced thing before you know how to do the basics thing, you're not going to know how to use that tool, right? No, I, I agree. I think at the core, when we think about young professionals, they tend to lack confidence. Um, you learn a ton in school and how could right. you not learn a ton after three years, seven years, right? So I need to have all the answers. And then I get into practice and gosh darn it, this is probably harder than it looks, right? These people, they're being nice to me, but maybe I kind of have this, uh, you know, little bird on my shoulder chirping at me. You're not that good. You're not that good. If only you knew how to, you know, needle the intercostalis, right? If only you were the blood, uh, you know, blood flow restriction king. If only you were a manual therapist. If only you were Reiki, sir, you know, we could go on and on and on and on and on. So I think that driver comes from a want to develop, a desire to help people, but also a deep-seated insecurity that if only I can get to the next shiny object, then I'm really going to be helping people. So, you know, came out, did residency, did fellowship, and then, okay, I got a dry needle, right? That was kind of in the early aughts where this was kind of a new thing. You know, some states had it more than others. And it was like, I got to do that. But in hindsight, and this is not the old guy being kind of get off the lawn, to think about trigger point referrals and the mapping of that when you're still trying to figure out normal referral patterns right oh my god like melting the brain sort of thing to be like wait the infraspinatus can look like radiculopathy you know it's just one of those things where if you're going to there 
and you're not foundationally sound, all of a sudden, if you picked up the hammer, everything's a nail right. and everything needs to be needled until actually needling wasn't that good, but everything needs BFR. Actually, no, not everything needs BFR, but if we can get this scraping down, then we can really do it. That that foundation in clinical reasoning that really gets developed through mentorship and reflection, then you can start bringing the tools in, right? But if you're not sound, you're always going to be chasing the thing that's going to make you a good therapist and you're never going to find it. It's a hamster wheel, man. You're doing a lot of moving, but not a whole lot of going anywhere. Yeah, it's just seasons, right? You know, like, oh, well, I used to do that, but now I do this, and now this is the thing, as opposed to the best therapist I've ever met, and I'm pretty sure it's the experience, they steal from everybody. They do a little bit of everything. If you have a real campy person, hey, I bet you they've had 15 camps before they arrived right. at this one, and they finally gave up, you know, kind of rotating through, because nothing has everything. So if you have that firm foundation, then you can integrate into and find the situational appropriateness. But if you don't have that base foundation, it's that hamster wheel. You said it, you said it right. Yeah. Some of the, some, some of the just came to mind. I just did a quick video on this because I had a conversation with someone and then I sort of just turned the camera myself and gave like 15 seconds worth of reflection, which we'll get to in a second. And, and, the, and that was reflecting on a quote from Picasso. And the idea was uh, good artists copy, great artists steal. Mm -hmm. And this isn't like go plagiarize your favorite author. This is like dissect. What about this made me feel that emotion, right? And then, and then put your own spin on it. How to, so if my goal was, we were talking about an email. The, the organization I was working with was like, we got to do email marketing. And I was like, I'm, Jimmy's like annoying sometimes with questions, but some, cause I push, right? I'm like, do you? Well, yeah, we have, we have a bunch of emails on our list. I'm like, okay, great. So you have, you have permission to call a bunch of people, permission to email a bunch of people. What do we want to talk about? And they were like, you know, I don't know. So they kept drafting these things and, and the people who were looking at them were like, no, not it, not it, not it. And Jimmy's in the middle, right? I'm clinical. I have a PT degree, but I'm also communications. I got that degree. So I'm in the middle going, well, you're not giving them good directions because you just say keep doing it again, but you're not telling them. You keep saying the meal's no good, but you haven't told me too salty, too burnt, like you haven't said anything. And on the flip side, I'm saying you need to do what you should be facilitating is what about this? The joie de vivre. What are you trying to, to steal? Mm -hmm. So then I push back and I go, great. Tell me about three emails. You die. You can't wait. You just die to open when you see them. Who is it? You know, it's it's the James Clear or the Tim Ferriss or the Seth Godin's of the world or or clinically. Are there people that write blogs or podcasts that you're like, oh, every time this guy's on my list or this this woman, she just spits, you know, Brene Brown. They just spit awesome stuff. Great. M my advice was not copy Brene Brown. Right. I want you to steal from her, which is like, why do you why? What has she done to build a relationship with you? What we call an asymmetric relationship because like I don't know Brene Brown, but I read her stuff. So I feel like I know her, but I know I don't. What about that can you steal, right? Mm -hmm. And what is your spin on that? Because that's the thing that's scalable. Yeah, you could plagiarize a, a Brene Brown blog mm -hmm. article once, but that's not scalable. Figure out what it is that you're, that you're getting or giving from that. And there's your Picasso. There's your good artist copy, great artist steal. But, but I'll take that one step further to say you can copy and still have the same poor success rate because yes. – they started with an objective. 
they have a message. They have something that's important to say. And if Correct. they're just stealing format or context, right. or like, I mean, Font. There, there are copies of things that are of the Mona Lisa that are more engineered to be better. And they're not. They're not. Because there's not that objective. And, and we see that in learning all the time. We call it content first learning. Hey, and it actually kind of comes back to this mentorship piece. If I'm just saying, I know what I'm going to teach you, right? These are the facts. These are the slides. These are the techniques. Right. At best, people are going to be like, eh, you know, it's pretty good. Maybe I learned something. I don't know. If you start with objectives, if you define what success looks like and how you're going to measure it, then you have a chance to have good content. So you can copy all you want, but if you don't have an objective or a message, something you're trying to accomplish, other than improve a click rate, right? You're still going to miss. You can copy right. all you want, right? Is it? Are we doing this to get this done, or are we doing? And and that's where I mean, I it might sound mushy, right? Some people are like, this is mushy, but I start with emotions. Because mm -hmm. if you tell me what you want, some are we are we educating someone or entertaining them, right? Because I work <laughs> in a world of content. Those are the only two things you can do with content. The magic sure. third thing is: can you be entertaining and educational, or enlightening, or informing, or motivational? at the same time, if you can, great. Then what does this do? Because if I say Tim Ferriss to you, you sort of like think like, oh, I kind of know what I'm going to get there. If I say Burger King to you, you kind of have an idea of what that per what that organization is going to do with what, what that organization is going to provide. That's a brand. A brand isn't a logo because I can copy that. A brand isn't colors and fonts because I can copy that. It really is. What am I going to make this person feel like? You know, before, oh, I wrote this down. And I want to make sure I sneak it in because back in, in mentorship, we were talking about it's it's not it can be formal, doesn't have to be, and it can be sort of along the path that you didn't see. You've seen the movie Rudy. <laughs> who is who was Rudy's mentor in that movie? It was I mean, he met the, he had the priest, right? He was sort of a mentor. He had his buddy, which was actually John Favreau, right? Yep. Who he was his tutor, right? But it really was was rock. It was it was the the groundskeeper who taught him these lessons that were the foundation, even culminating in Rudy. And by the way, I'm going to spoiler alert it. But if you haven't seen Rudy by now, I don't care. Thirty years, I've got to go back. Statute of limitations have run out. Culminating on him, Rudy's going to skip his last practice, and Rock is just like you're five foot nothing, a hundred nothing, and you survive the workouts at the best college athletes. And he's like, and he marches right on the on the field. You wouldn't have predicted that that mentor that mentor. You wouldn't have seen. Oh yeah, I'm sure the groundskeeper at Notre Dame is going to be my mentor. But he filled his gaps and vice versa. He saw you know because also it worked the other way because he finds out Rock was a player, and he wound up regretting some of the things. So they he got to live again through him. That's never happened on a podcast before. The lights just went for the podcast. So the lights just went. Out. Oh, you got motion sensitive lights and you haven't moved around in a while. Got it. Got it. So. So that that made me think I wrote down rock from Rudy and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to make sure I snuck that in there. So yeah, you, you never know. Tip so don't just look at the formal program. It's not. You know, the, the, the persons that, you know, you never know who's going to step into that role and just make sure you're open, you yeah. know, to learn from those individuals. Because if Rudy was like, huh, just the groundskeeper, huh, just the clinician that's one year out or ahead of me, right. uh, you know, or just the person that hasn't you know taken a ce course in the last 20 years uh, they can't you'll be amazed just yeah. learn from everybody just have it open 
make sure you're supported. I, I think all the ask for mentorship and programs and this comes from a good place of I want to do well. I want to take care of patients. I want, you know, I, I'm used to having formal learning. You know, I want someone who's going to help me transition into this adult learner. Um, but it, 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 it can make so much sense for it to be different than just someone who is voluntold that's going to answer your questions right. or at least tell you what they want to. All right. Last thing before on mentorship, and then I promise I'll shut up and we can move on to reflection, right? Hey, all good. I will give, um, especially because you just said, say after you do this for seven years, right? But it's 12 years before that. So listen, if you've gone through school every year, because after second grade comes third and after third, it's always a process. Yep. And this is going back to your saying, you got to know where and how to ask for help, right? So there is this like, well, I've always just had a guidance counselor or mm -hmm. an admissions counselor. There's always been someone there. This is an example where you get to sort of pick if you want that, but you have to do a little bit of the work because this is investing in you. And this, I'm, if, you know, if you, if you find the right fit for a year, a decade, um, the return on investment will be, is, is there, but I'll, I'll give almost a pass to like, you know, the students coming out cause they've just always been given something right to their own. That this is just how the educational system works every year I go and the next grade just has a bigger number. Right. And there's always a person, right. You get to start creating your own network. You get to start creating your own Mount Rushmore, use that opportunity and be thoughtful about it. Absolutely. So when I say reflection, which by the way, is something that I did zero times during PT school, because who the hell has time to do it, but I do it now more and more. I wish I did it more in PT school, but I don't, maybe I was just like, I don't have time to, uh, to, to pump my tire up. I got to keep pedaling. It's like, well, if you pump the tire up, you would have went faster. Um, <laughs> so, so when I say reflection, you think it's the most important thing you can, can do. And like mentorship, it's also, it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll, I'll first set the stage. So my wife is completing her EDD. Uh, she's faculty at Bowling Green State University, and this is her specialty. So I yeah. thought I knew what reflection was coming out of residency and fellowship. And if, if I sound smart talking about this, it's it's just osmosis, absorption. Smart man. Smart don't don't want to, but I'm, I'm stealing from many, especially one very close to me. But we go about teaching people how to reflect the complete wrong way because really? okay. everything you ever did for reflection in PT school, what, 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 what was it? What did it look like, Jimmy? It, they were all like, Hey, at the end of this week of clinical, write of, you know, 300 words on reflect. I don't know. Like there was yeah, a prompt write, sometimes write this uh, blackboard post yep, that's you know, what it was. after you do something, Hey, put it down. And, and it's funny kind of from an academic kind of circle perspective, tons of research hey reflection is key you know reflection on action reflection in action this reflection 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 but when you ask students about reflective assignments the number one thing they'll tell you is feels like busy work it did that's what feels that's like what busy work it's, right. it's checking the box you know blah 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 and then i saw this and then this person did that and it's so first of all we're not explicit with our instructions Right. We don't say this is important to you because. Right. We never establish that with them. Right. What's in it for them? It's always, hey, reflect about this. You need to do it. 
oh, so it's just you making sure that I log in once a week and that I actually went or something along those lines. Not only do we tell them that it's important for them, we also don't present it in a way where it can look different, right? No clinician, I'll hedge. Very few clinicians reflect by writing in a journal. And then I saw Mrs. Smith today and she came in with this. I think there's people out there that might do it and that's wonderful. But for most clinicians, it's the 15 minutes on your commute before you turn on the radio to think about what happened? Why wasn't that right? You know, what could I have done better there? You know, today, you know, I give myself a C. You know, I, I could have done better here. I need to remember to do this. You know, I need to write that down. Hey, that's probably the most common form of reflection. Just thinking about the day. Maybe yeah. you're writing it in a voice to text on notes or, you know, hey, maybe it's talking to somebody. Hey, let me talk to you about that patient. Oh, so mentorship and reflection kind of go hand in hand. But we get it wrong because we make people think it's busy work. And then we don't give them the, 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 the opportunity to do what they will do in the, in the future, to really hone their skills for it in a safe place in school, reinforce the importance of it so that they can actually have five or 10 years experience instead of five or 10 first years of experience. Right, right, right. right. So, so any tips and tricks, like you got the, you got the direct line to like some good <laughs> reflection info. Like if that's not the great way, and you just described exactly what my reflection experience was, but meanwhile, I do it now in the shower on a walk, you know, leaving a meeting going, that didn't go quite as well, but let me, let me, instead of doing this, let me do this. What did I do? You know, and I do that more now in the six years, seven years since I've been out of school, what, what, what would advice be to make it better either in school or how to, cause again, I would never write in a journal ever, even now. So what, what, what tips do you have from the master there? Yeah. I, you know, it's probably a good question for her. Maybe that's yeah, part bring two, her Michelle. You know, but Hey, I think make sure you realize it's important and you prioritize it. You figure out what works for you uh, because it's going to look different and that's okay. But it is a skill that's practice, right? It's kind of like meditation, right? right? Can you focus on something? Can you block out the noise? Can you do serious self-assessment and really have some visibility, right? Scoreboards help. By the end of the day, was I kicking the ball trying to dribble it or did I score a lot of points? You know, right. how did I feel like I did? Because sometimes you know, our perceptions of ourselves are a little bit divorced from reality. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I think prioritize it figure out what works for you and practice it is, is, is what I would say, but probably there's, there's better answers to it. Well, I like also you referenced the last time we had, and, and, and people listening should go back to listen to the last time when we had uh, Chuck Thigpen also from ATI on when he talked about measuring and why it's important, but also it's important to be clear on those things. Everybody, it's not only good when the boss can only see the scoreboard and then I'm just hoping I'm doing well. And then all of a sudden every quarter I get to see it and it's either yay or nay or in the middle. Um, it makes me think of, I play, I play like beer league hockey, right? I play like Wednesday night uh, hockey at the rink here. And one of my buddy's kids is always in the, on the bench. You know, he plays juniors and we always let him do like the speech before the game. And, 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 and so what are we going to work on today that we didn't do last week? And he's like, you should score more. <laughs> and I was like, got it. You're 
you know, but then I started pushing like, you know, jokingly, but it's like, all right, how do we do that? He's like, you shoot more. And I was like, okay, how do we do that? He's like, you pass better more. I was like, see, you're getting it. It isn't the scoring, man. It's the thinking Can before passing it's being aware. So be aware, then pass, then shoot more. Then we score more. I was like, okay, but that's a simplistic way of looking at it. But just paying attention to the scoreboard is good. But how do I affect that? How do mm-hmm. I affect that, right, yeah. as a team? But me personally, that's the way I look and, and reflect, right? I mean, someone was giving a talk the other day on um, uh, if you only review the questions that you got wrong and not the ones you got luck, you know, sort of lucky on, it's like, man, you are missing – you're going to be – you might be rude awakening on test day because you had this self – you had this inflated view of how, of how much you knew and not a real reflective view of what you did or didn't know. Dude, do it now when you're in the safety of the sandbox testing it out and not later when you're being tested. And that can go for the NPTE or life. I agree incredibly. Actually, you're, you're tempting me to, to, to shoot my parting shot, but I'm going to show some uh, some restraint there. But I, it, yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, you talked about the, 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 the hockey and I love that. But so much of what a mentorship situation could do or so much of what reflection can do is what are the lead measures or actions that are going to bring about the result that I'm looking for? Right. Right. Um, and, and, and pit a tail on a model, whether it's four disciplines of execution or Simon Semek, you know, uh, start with why, you know, if, if you're just have a system, I don't think one is better than another, but if you're thinking about what you want to achieve and you do that backward math, about what's likely to bring that about, hey, all of a sudden you have something to action against. Yep. And your actions can become habits and behaviors. And then all of a sudden, if your intent is just be better for patients and you figured out that the number one way to do that is to make sure you're revisiting their goals so they stay engaged in their program, all of a sudden that's gonna, you know, and you've changed your habits and actions and behaviors. And, you know, now you're doing that really consistently all of a sudden your patients are having more improvement because they're staying engaged in care as opposed to drifting off when the pain in their butt is less than the pain in the butt of getting to PT. Right. There's a, uh, there's a story. Uh, I, I don't, I, I would get all these anecdotes and they get stuck in my brain, right? Little, little like fairy tale type things. And one was uh, this group of guys got a uh, plane crash in the mountains and they're freaking out. Right. And then they realize one guy's got a map and they go, okay, we got a map. Let's put together a plan because no one's coming. We got to get ourselves out of here. And they all say that we're going to follow this route and we're going to figure it out. We're going to get down there, figure out where they are. And there's some trials and tribulations along the way. They get lost. They get found. And they find their way out. And then they realize the map was actually for a mountain range 500 miles away. But the idea was sometimes having a process and following something is better than just sort of wandering around, right? So – you know, you could look at the process and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. They just got lucky. It's like, well, they were, they were, they were working together. That was the process. So pick whatever you want, which can also go back to what we said earlier, which is you can go from camp to camp to camp. We feel safe when we're in a three-day con ed course because when I'm done, man, on Monday, I'm going to be so much better. It's like, are you or do you just – do? You, are you insecure? Which, by the way, I always find that people who don't have imposter syndrome – they're the people I want to stay away from. Like I actually want to go to the imposter syndrome person. Cause it shows me like 
you want to be better. You think, you know, you think you need to be better and you're willing to put the effort into saying it out loud and being better. But yeah, a lot of people will gravitate towards the next three day thing. Find a process, something that you're comfortable with, and then realize that a process is probably better than whatever the next shiny process is. Yeah. I mean, take it one step at a time to go back to this idea of start with the basics. Take everybody for what it's worth, but don't blindly follow anything and overcommit. Right. Or don't be in a rush, right? The foundations, the fundamentals are actually what helps your patients. Right. I think there's there's a couple things that certainly can help a group of patients that you previously might not have. But a lot of these things are how to keep the therapist engaged in the treatment more so. Because right, right. at the end of the day, the systematic review says, hey, if we exercise people in a general fashion, they get better. Right. Um, you know, hey, however you want to, you know, skin the cat, approach it, things like that. Sometimes I think that's just for our engagement, um, because if you're not really invested and reflecting and thinking about why you do what you do, that clinical care can feel kind of monotonous, sure. right? So now, now I can stick people with sharp things, you know, or now I can scrape them and bruise them, or now I have the magic cuff and, and I'm picking on those three not because of any reason. It's just kind of the new things that I consistently right. hear about and see and our, our, our therapists kind of continually utilize. And they're all great and important things with good physiologic background and evidence behind them, but not if that's all you're doing. If Correct. you ignore the exercise and education piece, you're, you're just you know throwing different uh, stuff against the wall. Right. And what I've found is the people that instruct these things Right. So, you know, Owens Recovery Science has been sponsoring this podcast yeah. for years. You ask Johnny, he goes, this is this is five percent, man. Like this will help very specifically. This yep. will not solve all issues. You need to be doing Absolutely. other things. I mean, this this helps you on test taking. Never always need to do red flag. Stay man. Away. You mean always, <laughs> always, every time. Because as soon as I find one thing, one reason we don't do it in a situation, that means it's gone. Always. No. All right, we're gonna do three questions, then you're gonna unleash your parting shot. <laughs> Fair enough. You ready? All right, uh, three questions brought to you by our friends at, uh, well, ATI. Uh, one of the leaders in clinical research within the PT profession is ATI at all 900 plus of their locations, placing in the 100th percentile in CMS's merit-based incentive program for the second consecutive year. That's great work. Uh, hit ATIPT.com if you want to join their team and jumpstart your new career. That is ATIPT.com. Now, we've changed up three questions. If you listen to the show, we used to ask the same or we kept the questions the same for a little while because no matter how many times I ask the questions, the answers are always different because the guess is different. Now, I went out and I, I created these question decks. <laughs> I've literally, I've got decks of these things and I pulled three at random. So here we go. Question number one. Oddest job you ever took to earn a buck in your history. Oddest job you've ever uh, taken to make some money. Ooh, um, I, I spent one summer as uh, the gate attendee at a boat ramp for the town. Um, you know, it was odd in that I spent most of that summer sleeping in the booth or uh, figuring out that many people come to launch their boat without a without a, a pool a, a, a ramp pass. And that that could uh, quickly make me some extra bucks beyond the minimum wage that I was making. So how Smart about that? Man. 
as little as I know about boats, I got some friends who have them. What I also thought you were going to say was you, you figured out real quick how difficult it actually is to back up a boat in a trailer. Absolutely. When I was conscious, uh, and especially if someone had paid me on the top, I would come out and direct. And uh, that summer had two cars get pulled into the lake uh, yeah, and tow trucks were needed uh, and also had a, a guy break his thigh because the boat uh, dropped on him a little prematurely before the water could catch it. Boat so it, it was an eventful summer when I was conscious. So. Boat, boat ramps, no joke. Uh, second question, if you could try out a job for a day just to see if you like it, which job would you choose? What's something maybe you do, you know, just to give it, you can't do boat ramp. You've already done that. <laughs> um, so, so I'll channel uh, my, my, my wife again, but specifically her, uh, her, her, her uncle who is a hydrologist, uh, worked for the National Park Service for years and years and years, would go on, you know, uh, these seven, 10, 14 day backpacking where he would have to map out all the water features in a national park and then make suggestions based off erosion patterns and things along wild habitats, things like that. And I don't know about you. I find that fascinating. I'm, I'm drawn fascinating. to the wild despite being like, far away from that being my lifestyle favorite show is alone if anyone's kind of out there also i think just water is cool it but is cool. uh you know I, I don't know if i could do that for, for 30 plus years like carl did but you would try I, it I, i'd like to try it for a day that sounds pretty cool I, I had a buddy who was the what is it was one of the athletic trainers for ohio state baseball and then he now he's like a national park like ranger <laughs> and i remember thinking like but you were always with people and traveling people and he's like nah man i just dig like this and i'm like good for you for recognizing that because now he's like it, he's like just infinitely happy hey uh, third third question on three questions what do you okay what do you consider is the most important piece of furniture in a house did not see this one coming uh a couple different ways to go there but i'll go uh simply and cleanly to say that the bed because if you're not sleeping well nothing else goes it's a very pt answer <laughs> Very physical therapy answer. All right, that's uh, you're off the hot seat uh, for three questions. Again, brought to you by our friends from ATI. Hit ATIPT.com if you want to jumpstart your new career. All right, now the moment you've all been waiting for. Here is your parting shot. <laughs> parting shot, your last chance for either a mic drop moment or a soapbox statement. You, you said you had it holstered for us. What do you got for us? Yeah, showed, showed restraint. So the best advice I was ever given, and it relates back to uh, – the, the hour plus that we've talked now, people, you know, reflection is the most important thing you can do, but people tend to only reflect when they fail. So if you really want to unlock that piece and really kind of get going, reflect on when things have gone well, right? It's very much that item that you said before, hey, review the whole test because you nice. guessed on a bunch of them. And if you don't learn from that experience, hey, just because something worked, doesn't mean that you did it right. right. And there's still a lot of opportunity to learn. So, so reflect on every occasion, be intentional about it. Don't only do it when you fall on your face. Love that. Uh, great uh, insight for the parting shot. Thanks so much for the time. We touched on a bunch of stuff that I thought was obvious because we've talked about mentorship before, but you've made me think about it, a few things on a topic I've talked about before in different ways. I was like, ooh, didn't think about that. <laughs> Try to bring something unique each time. Good. Love it. All right. They say the best conversations happen at happy hour. Thanks for coming to ours.